Let us pray. Wonderful, merciful Savior. Lord, we thank you that as we gather on a Sunday morning, that we sing to you. And Lord, I pray that the words on our lips as we sing would indeed be the thoughts in our hearts. Lord, that we would be living with an overflow of our love for you because of all that you have done for us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, as we sing about all I need is Christ. Lord, I pray that that would indeed be the satisfying song of our hearts, that all we need is you. The Lord, we thank you that you, in addition to Christ, has given us so much. You've given us blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And Lord, it is because of all of these things, you are worthy of our worship. And so Lord, I thank you that as we gather this morning, we pray that the service, that our hearts today, that, that the manner in which we respond to you would be giving you great glory and that you would be satisfied with our worship because of all that you have done for us in Christ and that we live by faith and not by sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, this time the kids can be dismissed to Children's Church. The rest of you, if you'll open your Bibles with me to the book of Mark. Uh, we are in the book of Mark. If uh, you don't have a Bible, you need a pew Bible. Uh, there is one close to you, and the page number in your pew Bible is 836. So encourage you to have a Bible open. We work through the Word of God expositorily. We believe that the Word of God is inspired. We believe it came from God. We believe that it's infallible. We believe that it's inerrant. We believe that it's powerful. It is sufficient. It is everything we need for life and godliness. We believe that the Bible is the Word of God. They are the words of life that we need. And so this is where we rest. This is our foundation, our hope, and our authority. And so as we submit ourselves to the Word of God, it is important for us to work through it, uh, understanding what it is saying, and that we would be faithful to the text. As we gather this morning in the message this morning, we have titled it, Turn, Trust, and Follow. And in our passage this morning, we're going to see that Jesus invites us to turn to Him, to trust Him, to believe Him, and to follow Him. And as we think about why we're gathered here today, that's why we're gathered. Because we gather as a body of believers. We gather as a people who have, who have turned from our sins. We have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior and we're following Him. And one of the ways we manifest that we're following Him is we gather on Sunday mornings to worship, to sing, to pray, to encourage one another. All of these are things we do because of what God has done for us in Christ. Well, the book of Mark, we began it a few weeks ago, and in chapter 1, verse 1, it begins with a title. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the word gospel means good news, and so this book is all about good news. And this morning, we're going to begin in chapter 1, verse 14. And it says this, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time was fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Then we're going to continue on through verse 20 as we work our way through the passage. But the passage opens by saying, Now, after John was arrested, and the writer assumes we have some familiarity with that. And, and actually, as we get a little further in the book of Mark, we're going to read about this uh, specific event about when, Jesus, when John was arrested. But John the Baptist has been on the scene preaching. And there's a king, King Herod, that he had, uh, was committing sexual immorality with a family member. And John the Baptist was preaching against that. He was preaching against the sins of a king. And if you preach against the sins of a king and the king's heart isn't turned, what happens to you? 
you end up in prison, right? And so John is in jail for preaching the word of God. And in their text this morning, we're moving from the ministry of John to the ministry of Jesus. And that's in fulfillment of why John came. The scriptures tell us earlier that John came as a messenger to prepare the way for for God, for the Lord. And he's preparing the way for the Lord. He's doing that by, by preaching repentance, faith. John's been baptizing. And now he shows up and John's been arrested. And so John now decreases and Jesus is going to increase. In the context of what we've read, he's fulfilled these Old Testament promises. And our passage says, now, after John was arrested... Jesus came into Galilee. And I, wanted, I put a couple maps in a PowerPoint this morning to help us to kind of remember where are we in the world because sometimes we kind of assume we know where this is and it's easy to kind of miss out or maybe you really haven't had an opportunity to learn some of this. But as we think about where we are in the world, where they are, this is a map of the Middle East. And I know this might be a little difficult to see, but down here on the bottom we have Saudi Arabia. Over here to our right we have Iran. Uh, we have Iraq, modern-day Iraq. Jordan, Egypt's down here, Turkey. But then over here, we have tiny little Israel. Okay, that's where we are, Mediterranean Sea. Okay, that's geographically where we are in the world. And so that's where the nation of Israel is. As we think, what does Israel look like? It looks like this. Israel is a really tiny, um, tiny nation. And in the time of Jesus, it was divided into different areas. And so down here at the south, whoop, wrong button. Uh, down here on the south, we see the region of Judea. And uh, Jerusalem is down here, down here by the Dead Sea. We have the Jordan River that runs through the um, east side. So we have Judea down here. We have Samaria. Who lives in Samaria? The Samaritans. Guess why they call them Samaritans? That's right. That's where they live, right? And so we have in the bottom, the Judea, we have Samaria. And then up here in the north, here we have Galilee. And Galilee, here we have Nazareth. We have the Sea of Galilee. Over here is this area called the Decapolis, that's 10 cities, it's a populated region and, and a couple other areas. But that kind of helps us to see where Israel is, and through the middle of Israel here is a mountain range. And so Jerusalem down here is really high um, from an elevation standpoint, and so all throughout the Bible when it says they're going to Jerusalem, it always says, and they went up to Jerusalem. Now, we're thinking, well, if I'm coming from Galilee to, to Jerusalem, I'm not going up to Jerusalem, I'm going down to Jerusalem. That's how we talk. But what, well, they, they say they're going up to Jerusalem because they're always going up the mountain, up to see, up to Jerusalem, about 4,000 elevation, 4,000 feet. So here's where Jesus head. He heads up here to the Sea of Galilee, and he's been down here around Jerusalem. All right? So that's kind of geographically what we see in our text. All right? So now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, and he comes up there, and he has been down the southern region for about a year. And John the Baptist doesn't give, or, John, or Mark, doesn't give us information about that part of Jesus' ministry. His purpose for writing is a little different than the other authors. So we would read in the other authors, for instance, in the book of, uh, of John, we read about that ministry. But when Jesus shows up in the book of Mark, he's been ministering for about a year. And so as we see this, it's time Jesus comes on. So back to our text, Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. And, and, and this Galilee region, the, the Sea of Galilee up there, it's about seven miles wide and 13 miles long. Okay, it's a big sea. And it's fresh water. It's um, several hundred feet below sea level. Abundance of fishing. So the fishing trade was tremendous. 
um, at this time of uh, world history. Uh, around the area, it's very fertile, so lots of agricultural area. And so it made this area a very uh, desirable place to live. And so the population is, is very large in this area. And so Jesus moves out of the city area of Jerusalem up here to this more rural area, but it's a pretty populated rural area. Okay, It's not the back sticks. It's a populated area when he gets up here to Galilee. Well, as Jesus comes here, we read about him. It says, back to our text, Now Jesus, after John was arrested, came into Galilee proclaiming the good news. Jesus shows up and he's preaching. And he's preaching, it says, this, the gospel of God. And as we talked a few weeks ago, the word gospel means what? What does the word gospel mean? Yeah, good news. Okay, it's the good news. And here, it's described as the gospel of God. Now, back up in verse 1, look up there. It says, the beginning of the gospel of who? Jesus Christ. And so here, we see it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it's also the gospel of God. Well, what's the difference? Is it, is it a different gospel? That's all the same gospel. It's the gospel of God because it's the gospel from God, and it's the gospel about God. It's good news about God that he has given to us. It's good news about a relationship that we can have with him. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the gospel because Jesus Christ is at the very heart of this good news. The reason why it, that God has good news for us is because of Jesus Christ. Okay, so the gospel of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the gospel of God. And then it says he's proclaiming this gospel of God. And what is this gospel of God? The gospel of God is that we're sinners and that we need help. That our lives fall short of God's glory. As a result of our lives falling short of God's glory, we face God's wrath. That we sin, we know we're rebels against a holy God and we deserve judgment, we deserve punishment, we deserve the wrath of God. But because of his goodness, he sent Jesus Christ for us to die in our place, to be a substitute. Okay, and so that's the essence and the heart of this gospel. So Jesus then proclaiming the gospel of God in verse 15 says, saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And so our first point in your outline this morning is this, is that Jesus calls you to turn from your sin and to trust his word. He calls us to turn from our sins and to trust his word. And he says this idea, he says, the time is fulfilled. The idea here is that Jesus is showing up at a specific time in world history when everything is ready. This, in many ways, is the pinnacle of biblical history. All the way back from Genesis, all the way back even before Genesis was written, God had this grand plan of what he was going to do. But Genesis 3, we see Adam and Eve have sinned against God. The serpent has deceived Eve. They've eaten from the fruit in rebellion against God. They have been, their nakedness has been revealed. They feel shame. They feel guilt. God shows up. God curses the serpent. He curses the ground, tells man that there's going to be, he's going to be at the work and the sweat of his brow for the woman. There's going to be pain in childbirth. And he says to the serpent that the seed of a woman is coming who is going to crush your head. You'll strike his heel, but he'll crush his head. And in, in, in Genesis, it's a sketchy thing. We're like, what's that all about? But as we read through the Bible, we realize that Jesus is going to be this snake crusher. He is going to crush Satan through his death and resurrection. And through this crushing of Satan, he is going to purchase salvation for us. So this fullness of time. Now, keep your place here and turn to the book of Galatians with me. 
Galatians, and we're going to look in Galatians chapter 4. If you're using a pew Bible, this is on page 974. It says Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and then the book of Galatians. Okay, Galatians chapter 4, and then verse 4. So Jesus shows up proclaiming, the time is fulfilled. And in Galatians 4.4, 4, we hear a very similar statement. It says this, But when the fullness of time had come, same idea, fullness of time, when it had come, what happens in the fullness of time? God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. So, at exactly the right time in world history, Jesus is born. For what purpose? Verse 5 tells us, to redeem, that means to purchase, to buy out of slavery, to redeem those who are under the law so that, so he's buying us out of slavery, out of slavery of our sin for this purpose, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. And this is good news for us. We are alienated from God. We are strangers and rebels and have no, no right to His inheritance, no right to His presence. But because of Jesus, God sent Him to redeem us and to adopt us as sons, to adopt us as sons and daughters. And listen, today, if you're trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have incredible worth and value. That God has given His Son, Jesus Christ, and you are His Son. You are a daughter of Jesus Christ. You belong to the Father. And, and those of you who are, are, are still wrestling with this whole gospel thing and trying to figure it out, I want you to know that God would love to adopt you into His family. If you would repent of your sins and confess that, that you're a rebel against Him and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, your sins will be forgiven, your sin will be washed away, and you will be m brought near to the Father in adoption. All the rights of a son are yours if you'll repent and believe. And so, in this fullness of time, back to Mark, it says Jesus came preaching, saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe. And Jesus, as he says the time is fulfilled, he tells us as well that the kingdom of God has arrived. The kingdom of God is at hand. And the kingdom of God is at hand because, well, who has shown up? Jesus has shown up. He's the Son of God. The King is here. And because the King is here, the kingdom is at hand. And to be this King, Jesus shows up and His kingdom is going to be inaugurated by His ministry. It's going to be fulfilled by His death and resurrection. And His kingdom is going to continue to grow as people repent and believe the gospel and come into the kingdom of God as, as adopted sons and daughters. That's what God does for us through His work. And so Jesus says this. He says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. The king's arrived. And He says, repent and believe the gospel. And we see that, God, that Jesus Christ commands us to repent and believe. And this word repent, it's a church word. Uh, it's a word that we define, it's very simply, it's a word that means turning. It's that I'm turning, that, that I've been living my life in one direction. My life's been about me, my life's been about success, my life's been about happiness, my life's been about a goal that I have, my life's been about my job, my life's about whatever. But my life's ultimately about me. But the gospel calls us because of of what God does for us, he says, no, 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 that's not what life is ultimately about. Life is ultimately about following God. 
loving Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so repentance is turning from my sin, turning from selfishness, and turning to Him. And so the message Jesus preaches says, He says to repent. And repentance is a radical reorientation of life. A radical reorientation of life. Some, listen, when somebody trusts Christ as their Savior, old's gone, new stuff comes. They become a new creation in Jesus Christ. And so if we are truly born again, if we truly know Jesus Christ as our Savior, our lives are radically reoriented around the person of God. And I would, I would, I would encourage you today to maybe consider what is your life oriented around? What, what is at the center of your world? We think about our solar system. We have the sun in the middle, and we have uh, Mercury and Venus and the Earth, and everything goes around in our solar system. And the sun is the very center that holds everything together, gives everything shape. It sets the trajectory of all the different planets and their orbits and where they're going to go. I would ask you the question this morning, what is the center and the dominating force of your life? Is it a love for God? Is it truly that you do what you do because you love God? Or is it that you do what you do because you're seeking to satisfy some desire? That you just want your own way? What is orient? And I would ask you a question. What if you asked some of your friends? What would they say orients your life? I think it's an important question for us to consider because Jesus calls us to repent. He calls us to have our lives radically reoriented. But he says this, he says not only are to, we re- to repent, but also to believe. And, and to believe, and, and believe is a big word in the Bible. Believe in the Bible isn't just like I know and agree. See, that's, that's what we say believe means typically. I, I, like outside, I know and agree that the sun is shining and um, there's not much of a breeze. I know it. I agree with it. Right now, is the weather outside making any difference to us? Nope, not a bit. Why? Because we're inside in a climate-controlled environment. I can know it and believe it, but it doesn't affect me a bit. There is a belief in the things of God. There's a belief in the gospel that is a no-and-agreement kind of belief that isn't a saving belief. James chapter 2 talks about this. It talks about the demons. It talks about the devil. He knows and agrees that Jesus is the Son of God. He knows and agrees that if anybody repents and believes, they will be born again. He knows and agrees that, 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 that Jesus is coming again one day. He knows and agrees with all of that, but it makes no difference. And I'm troubled. I'm burdened that there are an awful lot of people who proclaim the name of Christ that call themselves Christians, who know and agree with the gospel, and they know and agree with this word, but their lives are not lived in submission to it at all. And I would say they have the faith of the demons. And they need to repent and truly believe the gospel. Because belief is this. Jesus doesn't say repent. He doesn't say know and agree. He says repent and believe. There's a radical reorientation. And so belief certainly means I have to know it, I have to agree with it, but I also have to surrender to it. And I would ask you, what's, where are you on that scale? Do you know the truths of the gospel? 
And I would say, if you, don't, if you don't know these truths, you're like a little fuzzy on it, we would love to help you continue to understand these better. This whole Bible is about this. So we'd love to be able to help you understand that, to know it, to agree with it. We can help you to understand why it's reasonable to believe these truths. We can help you to understand why it's reasonable to believe that, that the Bible is trustworthy. We can help you to understand and to come to agreement that, that, that Jesus was a real person who really died on the cross and rose from the dead. We can help you to understand why you should agree with that. But when it comes to belief and this trust, that's something that has to happen inside of you. That we can't push. I, if I could, I would make you. I would make you believe. I would, I would twist your arm. I would do whatever I could to make you believe this because I know that it will radically reorient your life in an incredible way and you will have joy in ways that you never thought that you could. And you'll have a peace. And I, I just, I mean, love to you be able to experience it on this side. But you can't experience it on this side without you exercising faith. Because we sang earlier that we live not by sight, but by faith. And it requires faith for us. We must repent. We must believe. We must take a step. And it's not a step into the darkness. We're not leaping into the darkness, but in many ways we're leaping into the light. We have reasons to believe what we believe, and I would encourage you. Have you do you know these facts? Do you agree with them? Most importantly, have you surrendered your life to this? to this person, to Jesus Christ. So Jesus calls us to this. and he's, So we see this idea. So Jesus commands us. He calls us to turn from our sin and to trust his word. He announces the arrival of the kingdom of God. He commands us to repent and believe. And then as he's in Galilee, look at verse 16 with me. It says, passing along the Sea of Galilee, okay, that's where he's located now, and he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Now, there are sometimes you read stuff in the Bible, and it's like, I think I could have figured that out, right? So they're casting their net into the sea. What would we probably consider? Ah, but they're fishermen. And then we're told, we're confirmed. So we are fishermen. Now, he tells us that, not kind of smart way, but because this next verse is really important. And he says to them, follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. So he's going to take them from being fishers men to fishers of men. And it says in verse 18, and immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And what we see in this is this Jesus who calls us to turn from our sins and to trust his word, that Jesus also calls us to follow him. In in John chapter 10, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. That, that Jesus calls us to follow him. And he comes to these, these, these fishermen. And what's unique about this is in, in chapter 1 of the book of John, which was about a year earlier than the events we're reading about here, John, uh, I'm sorry, Andrew and Peter had already met Jesus. They met Jesus earlier because Andrew, Peter's brother, was a disciple of John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist says, talks about Jesus being the Lamb of God, he understands that Andrew, who is a follower of John, goes, gets his brother Peter, and he gets Peter, Simon, and he says to him, we found the Messiah. And so he goes, and they, they are, they're introduced to Jesus' ministry. But apparently they, they hadn't been called at this point, and so they go back to fishing. And so a year later, Jesus comes to them, and Jesus says to them, follow me. 
And what's unique about this is that Jesus is a rabbi. He's a teacher. That's what they said back in John 1. And he's a rabbi and a teacher. And in those days, teachers didn't gather students. Okay, teachers didn't go around and try to find students. Students sought out the rabbis. Okay, they sought out the teacher. And, and, and so we're seeing Jesus as a rabbi doing some rather unorthodox things by pursuing and seeking to call followers to himself. Which, that has theological implications. You understand the theology that we're seeing in this? Is that this is the idea that Jesus says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. He's going to say it to two other brothers here in just a moment. And what we're seeing here is that, that what were Peter and Andrew doing prior to Jesus calling them? They're fishing. They're doing their own thing. What we have in, our, in the Gospels, in the Bible, is a God who comes seeking after us. We have a God who comes looking for us because Scripture tells us in the book of Romans, it tells us that there is no one righteous, no, not one. And then it goes on and tells us that no one seeks God. Ephesians 2 would tell us we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Apart from God pursuing us, we have no interest in the things of God. That, that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And you'd say, well, but, but don't like people like seek God on their own? Don't people do that all over the world? No. They, they don't. They seek a form of God. They seek a God after their own making. Romans 1 would tell us this, that, that, that we, we exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for gods that look like things that we want them to look like. We come up with a God of our own making, a God of our own imagination. That's what we pursue. But what we see here is what does Jesus do? He comes and he calls us to follow. Follow me and I will make you to be fishers of men. Because it would be completely right and just for God to let us have what we want. And what we want is, I want to be my own king. I want to set my own rules. I want to determine what's right and what's wrong. I want to determine what God should allow, what God shouldn't allow. I want to determine all that for myself. I don't want to submit to, to the God of the Bible. And so, but what we see is God coming to us. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ showing up and saying, follow me. And listen, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, that's why you're a believer. is because Jesus called you to follow him. He has opened your heart. He has opened your mind. He has opened your eyes to understand the fullness of the gospel. He has opened your eyes, opened your heart, and you've repented and believed, and because He has called you to follow, you're following. And that's why, that's why we gather on days like this. We gather because we've been called to follow Him, and we want to do that together. And so we see this idea as Jesus calls us to follow Him. We see Him going to these guys as fishermen, and we, we get this idea of fishing. This is biblical fishing. They didn't fish with a fly rod or a, you know, a baits you know they baits they didn't do that they fish with nets and so the idea is as these guys are casting their nets to see what kind of fish they can catch jesus is saying i'm going to call you to cast a net and to, and, and to catch fish and that net that we're to cast to he calls us to be fishers of men the net that we cast is the gospel of jesus christ that we share the gospel and share the gospel and share the gospel and share the gospel. Why? Because we're calling people to follow Jesus. And God uses our words through, he empowers through the Holy Spirit to draw people to himself. 
I mean, we think about this in some ways, I think, that's a rather inefficient way of bringing people. Because Jesus is God. Jesus says to these guys, follow me, and they follow. He says to another group of guys, just a minute, follow him, and they follow him. And, and we could ask, would they have a choice in the matter? We could argue that theologically. But the, but the idea is what? Jesus has all authority. He calls you to follow him, you follow him. Now, and, and those of you who just say to amen, that's our spirit. We're like, well, praise God he called me to follow him. It's not like, well, I don't want to follow Jesus, but he called me and making me do this. He's making me follow him every day with joy and delight and all that kind of stuff. And I don't want to follow him at all, but I guess I've got to keep doing it because he called me. That's not spirit we see at all. Anybody who's been born again grows in love and joy and peace and patience. All this fruit of the spirit that we're like, I love that. And God's done this for us. And, and so as we see this, Jesus says, come and he says, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. Follow him. Why? Because he's a fisher of men. And he's going to make us what he is as a fisher of men. We can say this. Jesus doesn't practice catch and release. Okay, those of you who fish, you catch and release, you catch a fish, you put it back. Jesus exercises catch and equip. He catches us and then he equips us. He equips us to be faithful servants. He equips us to be fishers of men. He equips us to be servants of God. He catches and he equips. And on a theological note, he never releases. We're always his. We are eternally secure if we are truly born again. Well, Jesus goes on then. He says in verse 19, And going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Again, he's two other brothers who were in their boats mending the nets. Okay, so they're also fishermen. They're mending the nets. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. As we see this idea that Jesus calls Peter and Andrew, he calls them to follow him, and he follows. And now he calls James and John. And they, their, their dad apparently has a good fishing business because he has hired servants with him. Jesus calls them, and what do they do? They leave. They didn't abandon dad. Dad had other employees. Dad's good. But the idea is they left and followed. And, and, and Jesus does this to change us. And, and this is what I want us to see is that following Jesus will change us. He is making us fishers of men. He is transforming us by the power of the gospel. And the primary change that takes place is that we don't live for ourselves, but for him. Listen, this idea that following Jesus, that Jesus calls us, that there's a picture that's probably really familiar, and lots of you, I'm sure, have seen it, but there's this picture of this, this river, and this rushing river, and the water's moving pretty quickly, and there's a big grizzly bear in the middle of the river, and, a, and, and, and it's, a, it's a river, and it's a spawning river where salmon swim upstream. And there's this picture of this bear, and he's got his mouth open, and there's a salmon that's jumping up. And it's like, pauses right here. Mouth open, salmon. If they caught the next picture, what would we see? Lunch, right? We see, and it's having lunch. And, and, and that imagery of we're to be fishers of men. I think about this I image in my mind that, that our world is full of fish and they're swimming upstream and they're swimming and going the direction they want to go. These like spawn, like these uh, 
salmon that are going to spawn, just doing their own thing, and, and they're doing their own thing, and yet as they swim up, they are completely blind to the reality that there is an enemy, that there is a bear who seeks to devour them, and it seeks to destroy their lives. We read in Scripture about the devil described as a roaring lion seeking to devour and, and I think I'm burdened often that we don't have a burden for people because we don't see their fate. That we're unconcerned about the lost because we don't see them as the bears about to chomp them and make lunch out of them. We don't see them as people that are in their sins, rebelling against the holy God and, and face a destiny in hell and the wrath of God because of their sin. And because of that, we're like, eh, somebody else tell, the go- tell them the gospel. I'll pray for them. And that we often aren't equipped to be fishers of men. Following Jesus changes us. Jesus calls us to be fishers of men. Jesus calls us. We would see that in the Great Commission. That we're called to go. To go and do what? Make disciples. How do we make disciples? By sharing the gospel. I would ask you a question this morning. Are, Are you a fisher of men? Are, when, when was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? Do you think it's maybe been a little too long? And we can say, well, I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure what to say. I'm not sure. I would tell you, listen, if you're saved, you know enough to talk to somebody. You know enough gospel. But if you don't, I put in your bulletin a tool that will help you. That's my job, is to equip, this, equip you to do the work of ministry. And in your bulletin are six questions. You, uh, learn, mem- this outline is super easy to memorize. There are six questions with two-word answers. Okay, here are the questions. Who is God? Creator and King. Who are we? Creatures and rebels. What should God do to us? Death and hell. What has he done instead? He sent Jesus to be our substitute. How must we respond? Repent and believe. What difference does it make? New life today and forever. That's the gospel. Now, you explain all that. But you know it. You know all that. I mean, if you've been in church at all, you know that. What? Um, who is God? Creator and King. Do you know any verses that would say that God's a creator? Well, of course you do. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, I've got to know that. Who is God? He's the King. So i got some verse. You can learn a verse. It helps you understand that. If he's a creator and he's king, what's that mean? It means he has authority. How much authority? All authority. Who is he king over? I guess he's king over us, over me. Okay, well, who am I? Well, I'm a creature. God made me. He made me in his image. He made you in his image. You are valuable as a human being because you bear the image of God, but you're a rebel against God in your sin, and you know it. If you have any doubts, just ask him a few questions about the Ten Commandments. Right? Have you, how many lies do you think you've told? Ever stole anything? Use God's name in vain? All of a sudden, we see that. So we're working through those. Use a tool like that. You say, I don't know what to say. Say that stuff. That will help you. Great tool to really to work to remember the scriptures. But the idea is, when was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? The next question is, what are you going to do about it? Feel guilty about it for a little bit on Sunday morning, 11.05. You're going to leave at 11.15, and I pray that God doesn't help me think about it. Well, as we see this, that Following Jesus will change you. I want us to see as well that following Jesus will cost you. The phrase is repeated in these two verses. In verse 18, it says, 
they left their nets and followed him. Look what it says in verse 20. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with his hired servants and followed him. The idea is this. They left something and they followed him. They left and they followed. That ties us in with repentance. I'm leaving some stuff behind and following Jesus. That we see that, that there are things that following Jesus will cost us. That we leave the old behind. That, that the old behind is certainly our sin and our rebellion. But I, I'll tell you, listen, we also leave behind. I believe that God would call us to leave behind things in our lives that would hinder us, distract us, or dampen our passion for the Lord. Good things. Things that may be good, not sinful, nothing wrong with it in themselves, but because they hinder our walk with God, because they distract us from a passion for the things of God, because they dampen our spirit, that those are things that not may be good in themselves, but because they're doing that, they need to go. And I would ask you in your own life, what might some of those things be? The book of Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says, Let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings closely to us. So our sin, but also these weights. Why? Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen. I want to help you to see this morning that God is calling us to turn, trust, and to follow Him. To follow Him with a focused passion, knowing that following Him changes us, and it should continue to change us. And following Him will cost us, and it will continue to cost us. But Jesus says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? We're going to told later in this book that we're to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus. Are we willing to do that? And so this morning, for those of you who trust, who've not trusted Jesus as your Savior, I want to encourage you this morning to hear this message, to turn, to trust, to follow today. Make today the day of salvation. You've been waiting, you've been holding back, that you would say, God, I'm yours. I know these facts, I agree with these facts, and today I'm surrendering to the gospel. I'm surrendering my life to you. I want you to be the organizing principle of my life. For those of you who are believers, I want to encourage you this morning to celebrate the fact that Jesus has sought you and found you, and that you've become a follower of Jesus. To celebrate that. But I'd also encourage you to examine yourself, to think, what are the things that may be distracting me, dampening my passion? What are the things that are keeping me from being a fisher of men? And that we would go to work and we would begin addressing these things. And so this morning I would ask you, where are you? Do you know these truths? Do you agree with them? Are you surrendered to them? I would ask you this morning, how well are you following what well, might be something you need to leave behind? Something to lay aside in order to please and follow God more closely. Last question I would ask you is, are you fishing for people? Are you sharing the good news? Will you let others know that there is something better, that there is help, that there is hope in the person of Jesus Christ? Will you follow him? Follow him as a fisher of men. Well, as we conclude this morning, as we receive our morning offering in just a moment, I want to encourage you on the bottom of your notes, there are some action items. 
on the back side, encourage you to think, how can I apply this message? What can I do with what I have heard today? Well, for men, we'll come, we'll pray together and receive our morning offering. Father, we are grateful that you call us to turn, to trust, and to follow. And God, I pray you'll help us to, to continually be turning to you, that, that, that we would continue to follow you, that you would stir our hearts. Help us, Lord, to know you, to love you, to follow you. Help us to share the gospel with others. Help us to be fishers of men because, you have, because of all you've done for us. Lord, help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.